Hello, this is Lauren Cornelius and I play Dodo Chapler on Doctor Who for Big Finish. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Welcome back to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, the podcast that explores the expensive world of Doctor Who collecting and all merchandise. I am Larry Van Mersbergen, your host. I've been collecting Doctor Who now for 41 years. I had the honor of opening one of the first Doctor Who stores in Chicago that exclusively served Doctor Who fans. This was back in 1984, and we called it Bundles from Britain. Of course, Things went on to bigger and better things over the years. I sold it to my partner, who started the Visions Conventions and eventually Chicago TARDIS, and now runs a company called Alien Entertainment. Uh, That took a lot of years and continuation, but some of the bundle's products are still with him. Uh, We're mentioned, of course, in a wonderful book called Red, White, and Who, the Story of Doctor Who in America. A lot of good friends of mine wrote that, and Bundles from Britain lives on page 384. Every collector should have a copy, and you can find a convenient link to buy this on the front page of our website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com. We are a part of the Direction Point Doctor Who Podcast Network. You can find a lot of great Doctor Who podcasts at DirectionPoint.org. If you are a Doctor Who podcaster, join today and become part of the great ranks including Time Streams, Police Box in a Junkyard, the Doctor Who Target Book Club, Traveling the Vortex, and the old Doctor Who show. For more information, go to directionpoint.org. And of course, speaking of links, things I include in every episode, because of this particular podcast, you can start at any episode that you wish to listen to. Two great resources for collectors that are absolutely free include timelash.com. And when you go there, select the TARDIS library, and you can keep track of all of your Doctor Who books, vinyls, Betamaxes, videos, CDs, um, some calendars, uh, and things like that. Um, And you can set up a wish list or a want list. Uh, In some cases, there are links to Amazon where you can buy some of these items. Unfortunately, his eBay uh, connecting tool doesn't work anymore, but it's a free site, and I want to uh, give special thanks to Mr. Dan O'Malley, who runs that site. If you need to do some research on Doctor Who items, I use it quite a bit myself when I'm doing research for a show. I go to the uh, Howe's Transcendental Toy Box. Now, you can get the books, but uh, I think they found that they were publishing books and then items made by, you know, for Doctor Who were coming out faster than they could publish the books. So it's best to set up a website, and that website is doctorwhotoybox.co.uk and run, of course, by David J. Howe, who's a great friend and one of the best resources for collectors. He's answered many questions, sometimes at conventions, when we couldn't figure out what this little Dalek toy was, and he wrote back, oh, series this was this color, this was this color, and this was this. It was just amazing. 
So if you're looking for great Doctor Who items at great prices, now, uh, you know, breaking news here, uh, Alien Entertainment has exactly what you need. And right now, I believe uh, they just bought four Doctor Who collections. So check their website. They're slowly getting these items up on the web. If you're looking for some odds and ends or things that came out of the 80s or the 70s, um, that's, you know, going to be happening very soon. So keep an eye on that. You can also select uh, free pickup from the store. If you're in the Chicago area, you should be able to visit their Lombard location. And uh, it's a wonderful place to go. It's a very nice store. Uh, Mr. Gene Smith owns and operates that. Of course, Mr. Gene Smith and I were partners in the Bundles from Britain days. They're open Wednesday through Saturday. Visit AlienEntertainment.com for store hours. Uh, you can also find some great Doctor Who items at Forbidden Planet, which is one of our sponsors. And you don't need to go to their website. You can just go to my website at DoctorWhoCollectors.com, select Doctor Who merchandise links. And, of course, don't forget our own eBay store. We've got lots of stuff open, uh, Target books and some goodies that were extras or donations or things that we, you know, I found that I didn't need. So I'm happy to share those with other collectors. All proceeds from the eBay store benefit the podcast. In addition to all of our podcasts posted and, and all that information on merchandise, uh, we also have one of the only complete guides to Doctor Who hardcover books. Um, we list every book in publication order, including books that were published by Miller and White Lion, and Nelson Doubleday, and Aeonian and Amarone. So it's important to have a complete guide to all those classic hardcovers. Now that Chicago TARDIS 2021 is behind us, we are now counting down to TARDIS 2022. Um, the guests we have so far listed uh, are Sylvester McCoy, the second Doctor, Fraser Hines, I think he comes with every convention these days, but you've got to meet him if you haven't already. He played Jamie McCrimmon, of course. Jason Haig Ellery, the CEO of Big Finish. Uh, if you have any Big Finish questions or, you know, ideas or things like that, he's the guy to talk to. And just added was Sophie Aldred, who played Ace in the original series and will play Ace again in the last episode of Jodie Whittaker. So keep ChicagoTardis.com bookmarked and, of course, experience the best Doctor Who convention in the Midwest. I am, of course, their collecting expert and the official uh, collecting expert for Chicago Tardis. Uh, I do the collecting panels when there is availability room in the schedule, and so far I've done it four years running. Um, if you missed... Uh, any of those, you can see what it is I do, uh, because in 2020, we did a virtual convention, and the first panel up was Doctor Who Collecting, and you can watch this video for free, uh, either on the Chicago TARDIS YouTube or Facebook page streams, or go to YouTube and, select, and search for Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, find our channel, our podcasts are posted there, and some select videos. Uh, on our playlist is the Doctor Who Collecting video from 2020. Special thank you to our sponsors. Uh, we've already mentioned Forbidden Planet, and don't forget Bags Unlimited Incorporated, our sponsor for collection protection. Uh, you can find more there at bagsunlimited.com. Uh, we get small percentages of sales from Forbidden Planet items on our webpage, and those, of course, benefit the podcast. Uh, another link I want to share with you real quick here is uh, to get the latest books, of course, from Telos Publications. That is, of course, David J. Howe. And uh, we recently did um, his uh, New Who Adventures book, 
and we had him on the program for that. And of course, new books by him, we will have him back. He's a he's a wonderful. He's now a follower of us on Facebook. So you know, if you haven't followed us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, currently on Instagram, we're running the covers of all the classic hardcovers in publication order. We're slightly ahead of the uh, podcast episodes, but uh, we like to throw in the uh, the uh, added thing of what the story reviewed at because the stories in the hardcovers are the same as the paperbacks and if you're buying them to read them which I you know I've read a few of my hard hardbacks of course the prints larger it's a little easier on my eyes um, you might want to know what you're reading so here's what's going on uh, of course um, you know I've talked about Chicago TARDIS so hopefully I will be presenting uh, in some way there usually I do but you can also catch me at Doctoberfest which is in Indianapolis, Indiana, on Saturday, October 22nd, at the Holiday Inn in Camby, Indiana, uh, also at the Who North America. Um, I will also be collaborating with the Whoseum, which is presented, which is sponsored by Who North America in collecting, and so we'll see you there. I'll also be at Chicago TARDIS 2022, and uh, uh, tentatively, I will be at Consindy 2023, next February, presenting Doctor Who Collecting. So um, here's what's new to the collection. Uh, usually every podcast, uh, starting last one, I believe, I'm trying to just let you know what's coming into my life and my collection. So uh, recently, uh, since the last podcast, I got a very nice copy, a uh, vinyl 12-inch uh, record called Variations on a Theme, which is uh, by John Nathan Turner, presents four different Doctor Who themes. Very cool. Um, I also just received Out of Time 3, the CD from Big Finish. That's where the 10th Doctor meets the 6th Doctor. It's a great story. I won't give you any spoilers there. Um, I got an ex-library copy of The Talons of Wing Chiang, which uh, sadly was not in time for today's main story, which is about 1978 hardcovers. It's one of those issued. This particular copy, though, has the first few pages ripped out, so it starts right with the story on Chapter 1, so the title page and the copy copyright pages are missing. Technically, that makes it a book that is illegal to sell, but, you know, I guess the cover is still there. And the dust jacket's in mint condition, so it's really not a bad find. I also have a nice ex-library copy of Enlightenment that came in. It's in really, really good shape, very little wear and tear. Um, it's a shame I couldn't find one of those in this country because <laughs> I used to sell those, but they all sold out. So... That's how that goes. If you would like to share with us something new uh, with us, of course, you can uh, post it to our Facebook page uh, at Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. And, um, or you can let us know by emailing us at Podcast at gmail.com. So on today's show, we continue our coverage of the classic hardcover books with the year 1978. Long time ago, and as always, my guest will be Tony Witt. I want to thank our patrons. If you'd like to see exclusive video material, including today's episode with Tony Witt, although Tony doesn't appear on camera himself, the hardcover books that we show and the covers we show do. Um, so go to our Patreon page uh, at patreon.com backslash Doctor Who Collectors Podcast altogether and select the $15 level or above. Um, if you want to just do one month, pay 15 bucks, watch all the videos, and then quit, go right ahead. But that money does help keep us on the virtual air. Um, of course, Tony is the host and producer of the Doctor Who Target Book Club. So we want to thank him for supporting us and our efforts as well. 
So, moving on. If you would like to support us elsewhere, we can be supported at Podbean. So you can go to doctorwhocollectors.podbean.com and click the Become the Patron button to support us at any level. Uh, And speaking of money, we are still raising money to bring Doctor Who legend Peter Purvis to our podcast. He, of course, traveled with the first Doctor and played Stephen Taylor. He also went on to be a presenter on the show called Blue Peter. Lots of Doctor Who episodes uh, uh, and things that happened on Blue Peter as well. Uh, But he traveled with the Doctor for a brief time, also played two roles in The Chase, If you didn't know that, you might want to look that one up because he uh, played a cowboy figure in the first episode before becoming Steven Taylor in the sixth. Um, But we're looking to raise, and this is a true story here, we're asking to raise exactly what his agent is asking for, which translate in U.S. dollars to $271. So that's all we're asking for. We're not trying to get rich on this project. We just would like to bring him on. And the reason they're asking for this is that, you know, Peter Purvis is a retired actor. He doesn't get a lot of money in uh, from his projects, uh, a little bit from here and there. But we want to support our aging Doctor Who actors and keep them uh, going, of course, you know, so we don't want to leave them behind. So I would love it if one person just came on and said, here you go. Here's 271 bucks. I want to hear Peter Purvis. That, that would be great. You can just go to our website, DrWhoCollectors.com, click Donate. Uh, there's a PayPal donate button there and just put Peter Purvis in the uh, in the box there, wherever it says, you know, what is this for? Uh, make sure you send it to us, as, you know, as a donation so there are no fees attached. And, uh, of course, we'll mention you as a sponsor of that podcast. Our theme song is Who's Doctor Who, composed by Barry Mason and Les Reed, performed by Fraser Hines. Um, also on that recording, we have Jimmy Page playing guitar from Led Zeppelin. By the way, Mason and Reed, uh, either together or individually, also wrote other songs, including Love Grows As My Rosemary Goes, It's Not Unusual, and Everybody Knows. Uh, Fraser has told me that this is a great song that never got popular by two expert songwriters and some amazing musicians on uh, on the recording. You can hear this podcast, of course, Almost anywhere you get your podcasts, including Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and Podbean, and wherever other podcasts are provided. We are a Direction direction Point Network podcast at directionpoint.org. We're going to take a quick break, and after the break, we will, of course, have our collection protection main story and most outrageous offer. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Juliet. And I'm Nathan. Experience Doctor Who from the very beginning through a classic fan's eyes. And through the eyes of a new Who fan. Reminisce and relive those classic moments with Nathan as he offers fun insight. Or experience them for the first time with Juliet as she dwells on social issues, history, fashion, and the size of a flashlight. We're the Time Streams Podcast. Find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Are you ready to travel through time with us? Then check out Traveling the Vortex, a Doctor Who podcast. For nearly seven years and more than 500 episodes, we've traveled from one end of the vortex to the other, making different stops with different doctors, reviewing everything from TV stories to audio plays, from books to comics, and more. 
Sean, Keith, and Glenn take you on a journey through 50-plus years of Doctor Who episodes and spinoff materials. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to check us out. And now, we're a proud member of Direction Point, a Doctor Who podcast network. You're listening to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Keep collecting. Sad, Red, isn't it? People spend all that time making nice things, and other people come along and break them. And now it's time for Collection Protection. Collection Protection is, of course, brought to you by Bags Unlimited Incorporated. For all your protection needs, they have everything, almost everything, because we're going to talk about something else today. But anyway, um, poly bags, shipping boxes, uh, storage boxes made out of plastic so that they withhold the water a little bit better, anti, um, you know, anti- uh, Static paper and uh, book covers. I mean, you you just got to check them out. Bagsunlimited.com. If you do uh, reach them, make sure you know to let them know you heard about them on the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Today, uh, I want to address a question that was brought to me about displaying action figures. And action figures, uh, I guess recently there was a, a special book that came out about Doctor Who action figures, and it got a lot of mixed reviews because I guess it didn't cover everything. But it's hard to cover everything. I mean, we try to, you know, we we went out to do a classic hardcover guide, and I'm finding out new information all the time. There were proofs that were done of books that never got printed that people have in their collections. And so we're trying to make sure we add all of that information as they come in. Well, today I want to talk about action figure uh, display. And so what was my advice for that? And so what I really like are these transparent um, doll stands. You can get them uh, at Amazon.com. They're by Glitchy. That's Q-L-Y-C-H-E-E. You can get 10 transparent uh, stand holders. Um, and then you can also get them in various sizes, too. There are some that you can get them for up to 35 millimeters to 16 to 22 inches. Um, and, you know, you just kind of, you basically, the doll sits in there and there's a little uh, kind of a holder at the top to keep the doll standing straight up if you want to display them. I also use one for my um, my original sonic screwdriver from Spirit of Light. Uh, it's a, the, the first sonic screwdriver that was ever made. It still works uh, without the packaging, though, because the packaging uh, was pretty flimsy. It was a, a plastic bag with a cardboard thing at the top made in Taiwan. I don't remember what they sold for, but I got it back in 1985. And uh, it's a nice way to, to display that um, so it's not laying down on a shelf, that kind of thing. You can use them for other things as well. You know, I've got uh, a couple of those Patrick Troughton uh, model kits that were put together, and they sometimes do stand on their own, but it's nice when they have a little bit of support. So if something happens or you knock a nail into the opposite wall, it doesn't fall down and break. So the doll stands. Uh, you, like I said, you can also find them at Hobby Lobby. You can find them uh, and distribution. Just Google Google doll stands, transparent doll stands um, for display holders and all that. And that, those are really nice. You can also get them in black uh, or transparent. I think I like the transparent because they, they don't show. But that's how you would display your action figures. I have a few, not very many. I never, you know, got heavily into those. But I have a, I have from uh, Dennis Fisher. I have a Doctor Who, a Tom Baker. I have a Leela and a Cyberman. And I've got a Jodie Whittaker action figure still in the plastic package. So that's going to stay there. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for your questions. If you have a question about collection protection, I know we are planning to do a video uh, edition for 
our Patreon to repairing a dust jacket. I have a, uh, a 1965 Dutch hardcover of Doctor Who and the Daleks and the dust jacket needs a little bit of attention. And you can do that with special tape that you can buy at Bags Unlimited. Uh, it's a uh, book book tape. It's uh, very safe. It's acid free and it will make uh, it'll, you know, basically take care of small tears any chips in the in the dust jacket to, to kind of make it so that it can last longer. It doesn't devalue the book at all to take care of it. Um, in fact, some of the book covers uh, that I've encountered from ex-library copies have kept the dust jacket in mint condition. So uh, thank you so much for listening. This has been Collection Protection. Up there is the scanner. Those are the doors. That is a chair with a panda on it. Sheer poetry, dear boy. And now it's time for the main story. This is a continuing uh, coverage of our classic Doctor Who hardcovers that we've done now for uh, at least three previous episodes. We've covered the years 74, 75, 76, and 77. Uh, those are the imprints of Universal Tandem, which happened to include Alan Wingate and Longbow. So today we start in 1978, where the Alan Wingate imprint has been completely lost or gone or whatever they did with it. And we start now with Longbow W.H. Allen, which is also a head scratcher since they reserved Longbow in the past for reprints. But the first few books out of the out of the uh, shoot here have Longbow on the spine. And so we'll go from there. So that's what's going on. W.H. Allen takes over the imprint and will, by the middle of 78, will be the only imprint on most of the Target books, with the exception of one final reprint in 1979. So it begins strong, like previous years, and ends weak, like previous years. So it's not sure, uh, as we go forward, we don't know what kind of management was going on during this time, that they were pushing a lot out the door fast, and then Oh, we can't afford to publish anything in December. I'm not sure, but we'll figure that out. Um, there were 15 hardcovers published in 1978, and which were a total of seven reprints and eight new publications. Comparing that with the Target paperbacks, they had eight new titles published, three reprints, and two non-novelizations. So again, the hardcover books are not keeping pace with the paperbacks. So just a brief history in case you're tuning into this one for the first time, because you can listen to these podcasts in any order. There's no continuation from the previous day. So there you go. A brief history in 1975, Universal Tandem was sold by UPD to the British conglomerate Howard and Wyndham. And the company was renamed Tandem Publishing Limited before being merged with the paperback imprints of Howard Wyndham's general publishing house, W.H. Allen to become Wyndham Publications Limited in 76. During 77 and 78, the Wyndham identity completely got phased out and Tandem was completely phased out in 1980. Surviving titles from the backlist are now published under W.H. Allen's principal paperback imprint, Starbooks. The Target imprint survives until 1993, though in its later years, it was used exclusively for Doctor Who novelizations, and today the Target logo is used on BBC publications of newer Target books. The Allen Wingate imprint was forever retired at the end of 1977, and the W.H. Allen imprint, like I mentioned before, runs until 1988. Of course, anytime I mention Doctor Who novelizations, uh, I have an order here signed by the Milwaukee Time Lords. Uh, that I need to bring on our Doctor Who uh, novel specialist here, the wonderful host of the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Tony Witt is with me. Welcome back, my friend. 
Well, thank you for the wonderful host. I'm not sure I fit that bill, but wonderful <laughs> podcast. I will definitely take. Well, I, I've never been uh, unhappy with any of the Target Book Club podcasts. They're always uh, something I, I push to the front of the line when one comes out. Um, you know, I give Joe Scarborough a break and I go to the uh, Target Book. So it's it's really a, a wonderful thing. And of course, I do want to give a quick shout out to, to the Milwaukee Time Lords. Uh, you can find them uh, on Facebook and other locations. They gave me such a warm welcome when I presented uh, Doctor Who Collecting at Consinity, which was hosted at the Milwaukee School of Engineering. Uh, it was, uh, uh, let's say, a few weeks back now, and it was really nice to get that kind of reception, and they have a big, strong following for, for, a, for a fan club, and that's a wonderful thing, so I wanted to give them a special shout-out. So, anyway, uh, that's, uh, you know, just going through here, the publication of 15 books uh, is two less than last year. And we've got one uh, that I'm not including in the count, which is an American hardcover, which is where we're going to start with. Um, typically, what I do here is I'll talk about the book. I'll talk about its value, what it is. If you're if you happen to be watching this podcast by being a Patreon subscriber, first of all, thank you for subscribing. If you're not seeing this and you're going, how do I get there? Uh, you need to visit us on our Patreon page. And just go to Patreon, search Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. We do come up in the search pretty fast. And you can just subscribe at the $15 level, and you can see this wonderful interview, including all the, co uh, the covers that I'm going to show and any visuals that come up in the conversation. So there we go. Um, it it's um, of course when pages don't turn that is the sign of a live podcast. <laughs> so uh, these hardcovers, of course, are extremely sought after today, and it even gets better because uh, Tony, I'm going to ask you to hang on at the end of the podcast for the most outrageous offer because you're going to love it. Okay, <laughs> sounds fine by me. So because it's totally uh, related to uh, not this particular year of hardcovers, actually it's a 76 year, but one sold at such an astronomical rate, it's it everybody's jaw dropped when it happened, and. We followed it carefully. A bunch of us collectors online looked at this and went, who did that? And it's <laughs> it's even getting more crazy out there because um, the they're now, now appearing in the searches are proof copies of Target books that were edited by whoever did the, the editing. You know, the oh, unbound proofs. You saw are, that too then. I did. I did. So, um, and then David Howe chimed in. He's got several that he's kind of thinking he might want to get rid of. So uh -huh. watch that space, everybody. Um, and as far as hardcovers, uh, you might uh, have to start a GoFundMe to help buy these, but nobody's going to contribute, so don't bother. Um, <laughs> and they can be found in a couple of different ways. You can find them in ex-library condition, which means they were once part of a library collection, either public, private, or college, and were either pulled or stolen from that library. Or you can find a non-library edition, which is ten generally a retail version when it was sold in a bookstore, a book fair, book club, or retail or direct from the manufacturer. In some cases, copies of hardcover Doctor Who books were sent to reviewers, and those have come up for sale. And we'll call, talk about more of that later. Um, none of the titles that we're going to talk about tonight were distributed in the United States, except for the very first one we're going to talk about, which was done in the United States, but nobody knew about it. So there we go. Uh, so 1978. Tony, any good memories of 1978? None whatsoever. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> though, now that I'm doing the YouTube channel, uh, that 70s review, yeah. I know mm -hmm. that Wonder Woman would have aired during that time, and so would The Incredible Hulk. 
So yes, yes. probably lots of good or fairly good television for the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, apart from that, no, not really. <laughs> my, my 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 big memory was in third grade. Uh, my teacher was extremely adamant in December that when we come back from holiday break, that when we start doing a heading on our papers, that we put 1978 on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, nobody heads their papers anymore. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and my, my friend is an English teacher as well as a uh, podcast host. So I'm just, you know, when I say head your papers, all my young, younger friends out there go, what is that? <laughs> anyway, in 1978, uh, Tom Baker's first four seasons as the doctor was sold to PBS stations across the United States. Uh, this time, though, Time Life was ready to have the doctor poised for American consumption by having stage and screen actor Howard De Silva read voiceover recaps of the previous episodes and teasers for the next one, which would inform the viewer as to what was going on. And sometimes even Howard De Silva had no idea what was going on. <laughs> uh, to accommodate the teasers, up to three minutes of original material was cut from each episode. PBS program planners took the show at face value, but soon achieved cult status. A few commercial stations, including WRTV in New York City and KVOS-TV in Bellingham, aired the show for a few years. So that means you watch Doctor Who with two or three commercials in the middle. So that's that was a pretty cool year. In fact, uh, I know uh, recently in 1975, I had posted on, if you follow our pa- Facebook page at Dr. Cluster's podcast, I found the original TV listing for the premiere of Doctor Who in Chicago, um, which showed the mutants as the first story. And I do remember watching that. I remember that was, uh, you know, because I have vague, just vague memories of, of some of the scenes that I saw. And I thought, well, that's the mutants. So we did see it uh, when it first aired in um, in Chicago. It was on Friday evening at seven o'clock and they showed it in half hour segments. So pretty cool stuff. And the amazing um, thing is, is that you kept watching after that one. Well, it was one of those things where I was doing something else and my mom said, hey, come here, you might like this. And... <laughs> Here we, here we are today. <laughs> so my, my, my mother, of course, has uh, passed on uh, since then, but uh, she always had an interest in Doctor Who uh, for a long time. She watched it every week with me. She thought it was a great show. So, I mean, it was one of those things that just happened to come on. It was uh, it didn't really get a big inset. Like if you look at a Radio Times, sometimes I'll have a, an illustration uh, to go on top of Doctor Who, like a little Dalek when there's a Dalek story or something like that to show people, hey, it's on. And in America, they just said, it just said new premiere, Doctor <laughs> Who, and then had a very um, bad, I would say a perfunctory anal- uh, like listing, probably the listing that they got from the media release of what Mutants 1 was. So it and of course, they they went in some strange order because the next story was like Mind of Evil. Oh, and they, they, they kind of went. I, I think what they what they didn't know what the order was. They just got them and did okay. This story was here, and this is how they arrived in the cans or whatever. However, they did it. But uh, of course, if you want to go to YouTube and you can find people who have captured some of these Howard De Silva introductions, and some of them are included on some of the DVD releases and special features. I believe is that right, Tony? Yes, yes, yeah. they are. And in fact, um, now that you have reminded me, I yeah. remember that I did see um, Underworld and mm. saw. They, for some reason, the PBS station that I watched was running Underworld, and I think it was in the film format rather than the episode format. And for some reason, Howard DeSilva's voice came through when they plummeted into the Underworld, and that was the only bit of narration. And I remember at the time thinking, 
the hell is this? Why is an American narrator coming in <laughs> at that moment? Is it going to happen again? And it didn't. Which yeah, is that just bizarre. Lot, and then sometimes you, you find those editing errors in the in the film as well. I know um, one of the one of my most famous editing errors that actually it still is in still most of the prints was in Day of the Daleks mm. when when you hear the the right. <laughs> And it's like in the second episode, it's like uh, they 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 forgot to take it out, <laughs> and and I thought, hmm, I thought that I when I first saw it in the in the full film format, I thought they just left it in, but when I saw it separate, they left it in there too, mm-hmm. so it was something they couldn't take out. And for years, I thought that the first episode of Brain of Morbius was meant not to have special effects or music. Right, right. Because it wasn't there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anyway, let's well, we'll go to the books here. And, of course, uh, the Alan Wingate imprint is no longer used, like I said. So all of Alan Wingate's imprints are from 76, 75, 74 uh, are the only years you're going to find those. So uh, all the hardcovers will be W.H. Allen or Longbow W.H. Allen as they start off. All of the books have removable dust jackets. And um, they come they come that way, and uh, the, they're priced. Uh, when I get to the first book, I'll tell you about prices. So I'm not sure why they used um, Longbow on some prints and not. Longbow is well-regarded, in fact, pretty well-researched, that they were the children's imprint. So they used it on reprints of previous books, but on some of the new books this year. And then it, 1979, the very first book in January has it, and then you never see it again. So I don't know what that's all about. Um, Anyway, we're going to start with a very unusual book that was released in 1978, right in January. And it's Day of the Daleks from the Aeonian Publishing House in hardcover. And I'm going to show you the the spine here uh, because it has that pinnacle logo, as we call it, uh, along with the Aeonian uh, triangle down here, which, by the way, is very similar to in later years. W.H. Allen uses a tri- a pyramid logo uh, on the corner, and it kind of looks like that. It's very similar, um, but it, it was really interesting to see that. Uh, no dust jacket and nothing on the cover. Later uh, Aeonian books do have some imprints on the cover. I have a copy of Image of the Fendal that has the title embossed on the front cover as well. Mm-hmm. So you never know. Um, the, uh, the Of course, this logo that I call the Pinnacle logo came out before Pinnacle because Pinnacle hasn't happened yet. We're still too early for it. Published in the USA by Aeonian Press. Uh, despite this being only one of two novelizations published in the 70s, Aeonian Press would republish this and publish six further novelizations in the 80s. So just to kind of give you some, uh, some a little bit of information, we're going to do a dramatic reading from our favorite book, Red, White, and Who, the story of Doctor Who in America. They do interview the owner of Aeonian Press. I know uh, Stephen Hill had told me uh, that he had talked to him, and he wasn't very clear on some of the facts, but uh, they start off by saying, around 1979, a small reprint publisher known as Aeonian Press in Mattatook, New York, printed two limited edition hardcovers by Terrence Dix, The Day of the Daleks and Doctor Who and the Giant Robot. Both were limited print runs, about 300 copies each, and... um, Many reference uh, sources mention the existence of Day of the Daleks, but they omit Giant Robot. Well, Giant Robot does exist. I do have a copy. Um, And for a long time, these books were available on Amazon as new publishing, because I think I paid $19.99 for this one. 
So uh, now, of course, it's gone. Right. You can't find them at all. But it was the best kept secret um, of, of a publication because nobody knew about it. And I certainly didn't know about it in the 80s. I didn't know about it until maybe five years ago. So are, have you been aware of these Aeonian publisher, publishing, Tony? Oh, you had mentioned them before in okay. a previous podcast, I believe. But okay. apart from that, these. no, I've the, never, I've never seen them. So. The, t- the title page has that logo in a little bit better, but clearly a logo that was shared uh, with Pinnacle. I don't see it mentioned in Red, White, and Who how that happened, but it does say in here that um, this work. Uh, uh, to keep uh, available uncommon titles, we have limited this to 300 copies. Now, it is also rumored that more than 300 copies were, were done. We, we have no idea. Um, so it's, it's hard to trace. The, the company no longer exists. In fact, it got sold to somebody else who renamed the company Amaron, which is why if you look this up somewhere, you might see it as Amaron instead of Aeonian. But Aeonian is the first publisher, and there are other titles out there by Aeonian. If you go to A Books and type in Aeonian Publishing, you'll get a bunch of other books that came out. Not necessarily the Doctor Who ones, because I check every once in a while, and none of those ever come up. So that was the first one in America that no one bought, because they were still for sale on Amazon up until recently. It's a really interesting thing. So uh, going over to W.H. Allen, uh, the first book uh, out, of the, uh, out of the gate here, we get a reprint. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, it's a second edition of the Dalek Invasion of Earth, which I'm not going to show because we actually went through that one already. So um, this this reprint, not easy to find. Uh, good luck. I don't have one. I have a first edition. I do not have a second. So good luck in finding that one. But next in January, we get a new book here, Doctor Who and the Mask of Mandragora, written by Philip Hinchcliffe with the cover by Mike Little and has the W.H. Allen Longbow imprint. I'm going to see if I can see get that up there. You see it says Longbow W.H. Allen. So it is not a reprint. This is a first edition. Um, the, this corresponds, of course, to the paperback release the previous month, and this would technically be the paperback was a 77 release, but the hardback came out a month later. The price was £2.95, which today would be £15.35, and in U.S. dollars would be $19.04, brand new. So not a very cheap book. So it's a very expensive book. Today, this book would fetch about a minimum of $200. It's not that hard to find. I've seen several of these for sale. And of course, the uh, the jacket, of course, has uh, the, uh, the back cover blurb on the inside flap, and the later flap has a wonderful picture of Philip Hinchcliffe and a little biography about him. Um, so I, I already know where the thoughts are going because Philip Hinchcliffe is not a favorite author of the Target Book Club. No. <laughs> so what were the no, ratings on this book? <laughs> nothing against Philip Hinchcliffe himself. He's a wonderful man, but yes. not the greatest writer. Uh, we covered Mask of Mandragora in episode 90, and we had Eric Goldbranson with us on that particular episode. And Eric Branson is the host of another podcast on our same network. Oh, yes. He, he gave it a 2.5. Dalton gave it a 2.5. And I gave it a 2. So this is one of the few mm. times I gave something a lower score than uh, the guests did. Wow. And, yeah, we found, just as we had with Seeds of Death, um, Seeds of Doom, rather, right. that 
uh, he tends to leave things out of the book that are important, mm. and it's not exactly prose that set the sets the world on fire. So, gotcha. Yeah, not the greatest. Okay. Yeah, and unfortunately, he has a few uh, out this season, so it's <laughs> one of those. Um, and next in January, we have reprints. By the way, folks, on the reprints, we're not going to ask Tony to do ratings because they've already been done. Just look at the previous episodes, or if you need to, look up those episodes of the uh, Doctor Who Target Book Club. You can find out more at directionpoint.org, the network we both belong to. So the next book uh, is a reprint of Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars. And I actually have the reprint here. This is a second edition of Doctor Who and the Pyramids of Mars. And it has that um, longbow, oh, it's hard to see the camera there, longbow WA Challenge by Terrence Dix. Um, we're not sure if the sales supported these reprints or they couldn't keep pace. Um, but titles, uh, just noting that Titles that came out in paperback a few years ago, such as Day of the Daleks and The Cybermen, will not be published in hardcover for a few more years. So I was not sure why they didn't get a hardcover treatment um, with the original artwork on the cover, which would have been nice uh, to have, but they didn't go that. Instead, they started reprinting books like The Pyramids of Mars. Now, there's nothing really, uh, the, the back of the book is blank on both the first and second editions, so you have to look at the, the spine. It'll say Wingate on the sign if you're if you're looking for the first edition. It'll say Longbow WA Challenge if it's a second printing. And of course, the first page of the book does say here, uh, first published in 1976, second impression 1978. So you can find out more about that. And that is a wonderful Chris Achilleos cover, by the way. And uh, when we talked to Sadie Miller on the program, this is one of her favorite um, covers. Uh, and I don't know if Chris Achilleos's uh, shop is open yet. I know they were reorganizing and trying to get somebody to take over um, that because he did it all himself. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but all those prints, he still has those uh, to, to publish and all that. But uh, his wife, his, his widow, Tasha, told me that they were looking for somebody to take over that and they would get that up and running because that did produce a pretty significant income for the family. And um, I told Sadie that uh, make sure you, you know, we can get you hopefully we can get you a copy of that that poster because there's not too many covers that feature Sarah Jane. Right. So very sad there. Uh, next, of course, uh, another reprint. It seems like we're, we're putting all of our money into reprints and we get uh, another reprint of Doctor Who and the Web of Fear. And uh, this is the second edition of Web of Fear. I do have that one. Uh, they just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, you know, they, they, the same, same price as everything, same exact dust jacket, except for the longbow WH Allen on the spine. So that's that wonderful Chris Achilles cover of the web of fear. So there we go. Next we have a page that is upside down. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, that, that Web of Fear, if you're uh, looking for a second edition, uh, I've seen it for $200, slightly more uh, in any condition. So you just keep looking out there. Keep your search handy. By the way, if you uh, if you do an eBay search, and eBay is kind of a murky water these days, but you can do a specific search uh, for WHL and Longbow, Wingate, and then save those. And then um, 
find an email address that you don't mind having lots of email go to because eBay will send you lists of, of those searches every day. And I have a few set up myself just for research, um, but you will get listings. Like I'll know when a new WH Allen book comes out, I'm like, oh, that's going for that. So it's a good way to keep up on that. Uh, next, we get a new book finally, uh, Doctor Who and the Face of Evil by Terrence Dix uh, with a cover by Mike Little this time around, uh, January, uh, pretty big month. So a new budget. And, uh, I, I always think, uh, that Simpsons episode where, uh, Homer runs for trash collector <laughs> and, and the guy that plays the, the, the incumbent is Steve Martin, but he, he has this whole musical number with new, uh, you know, shiny new trucks and new uniforms and the mayor comes in and goes, you've successfully blown your entire budget in one day <laughs> for the year. <laughs> Jameson, you idiot. You spent your entire year's budget in a month. Your department's broke. Oh, no. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, if that's the case, but we did get a new book here. Um, the uh, The book is by Terrence Dix. We love, we love Terrence Dix. They've got the uh, blurb in the front part there. And of course, it's the same, uh, the same photo of the late Terrence Dix here. And uh, the book is by, I'll just slide it forward slightly here so you can see that it is a blue uh, cloth bound book. And this one's in pretty good condition, actually. This is a uh, non-library copy, by the way. So uh, lucky, to, lucky to get a hold of that. Um, what was the score on this one, Tony? Uh, that was episode 93. And for that one, we were all impressed by it. In fact, Dalton gave it the lowest score, but he gave it a three out of five. Oh. Allison gave it a 3.5, which is unusual for Allison because that's, that's high exactly, for Allison. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. That's the same score that I gave it. Okay. Because we were all very impressed with that book. It translates to the page extremely well. And this is one of those situations. In fact, we've just had two Louis Marks um, stories back to back. And it tells you what somebody who can actually novelize a book can do with a Louis Marx script because. Mm -hmm. I think it's Lewis Sparks, actually. Yeah. But Lewis Sparks did um, Mask of Mandragora, and you wouldn't know how good that script is based on Philip Hinchcliffe's book. Whereas Face of Evil, yeah, that's also Lewis Sparks, and it is an incredible book. Oh, good, good. Yeah, I, I, I love Lewis Sparks' stories. I mean, he did, I believe he did Planet of Giants mm -hmm. and Day of the Daleks. We did not so, like Planet of Giants. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, on the on the collecting side, you expect to pay about two fifty for this book. I have seen many copies surface in the last few months. Uh, eBay and Abe's Books both had copies uh, in both library, ex library, and non library edition. Not sure. There, people are starting to clean out their collections now. I think word has gotten out that the hardcovers are bringing in big money. Um, and so we go to February, which has no releases. <laughs> we we we're tired you're getting february off we just did nine books in january so we'll we'll take it away um however the target side uh, does release doctor who discovers the conquerors so that was the february release for target so no target novelizations in february either so that was a slow month for everyone uh by the way if you're interested in learning about doctor who discovers the conquerors you can find out an also other non-novel in an episode titled unusual target books and that's episode 34 also joining me with tony wet so you can go back and read about that 
So that takes us to March of 1978, and I have a very interesting copy of Doctor Who and the Horror of Fang Rock. And um, this is interesting. It's by Terrence Dix, cover by Jeff Cummins. And let me explain. This book would have been would be issued with a removable dust jacket, but this is an ex-library copy, and this particular library laminated the dust jacket to the book. Hmm. So it looks like a, a hardboard book. There's no flap. In fact, the inside flaps are gone, but I had not noticed that when I got it until I saw it. I'm going to show you the inside of the back here. You can kind of see where they folded over and glued it. And it's, it's all glued together. Uh, they actually cut it off a little bit because you could see the longbow WH Allen was cut off at the end. So they could basically laminate this down. So it's, it's a completely laminated book. Uh, there was no uh, safe way to remove it. So I thought, I'll just leave it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it seems fine. Um, this, uh, this particular book here, uh, basically, I don't know. I've, I know I've read this and I did enjoy it, but what did the Target book think? Uh, for that one, episode 96, and mm -hmm. in fact, it was not long after the last one. Uh, Dalton gave it a three. Allison gave it a three. I gave it a four. And we were all across the board fairly impressed by it. I was most impressed by it because whenever Terrence Dix is novelizing one of his own scripts, it's generally a very good book. That's not always mm. going to be the case. I'm looking at you, Five Doctors, but it does happen. <laughs> I think Five Doctors was a different animal, though. That's <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> because oh, there was yeah. there was numerous rewrites with that. Because originally, you know, they had Tom Baker in there, and then he's like, "No, I'm not doing it." Oh, gotta change the entire thing. <laughs> so mm -hmm. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise we'd have to have him parachuting into the tower because they used every entrance to the tower for the other doctors, <laughs> including Transmat. Right. So that would be, you know, how does he get in through the sewers or through <laughs> the, you know, that I, I don't know how they would have done it. Anyway, um, if you find a copy of this as it's supposed to be with the dust jacket and all that, you might pay a little more. I've seen it for 500 or more. This copy cost me 20 US dollars. So I've had it for a number of years. In fact, I think I had this book before I knew it had a dust jacket because it looks like a laminate um, book. And we don't do laminate books for a few more years yet. So it's an interesting, uh, I, I like showing this one off because it's a real interesting way that library copies have. It's like my, I have a, a cop, I have a pinnacle copy of Seeds of Doom that's technically a hardcover because they did the same thing. They, they bound it and then laminated the cover on top of the book. So I just thought, it's interesting. <laughs> I love interesting things. Um, next, of course, in March, we've got a reprint, uh, Doctor Who in the Cave of Mo and the Cave uh, uh, and the Carnival of Monsters, the Cavable of Monsters. Can't talk tonight. Uh, it gets a second printing with the Longbow WH Allen imprint. This, what I'm holding here, is a first edition, just for visual here, and uh, that does have the uh, Wingate. Uh, Alan Wingate, I'll show, see what you're there, Alan Wingate. So this is the first edition. Um, the first edition, of course, um, has uh, no as a blank back cover, just like the second edition. So you have to look at the spine to know what you're doing. If you're looking at it at first glance, especially if it's in a bag and you can't open it or the person selling it won't show it to you, that's how you can tell it's a second edition. Uh, the second edition, of course, has that. Uh, same price of £2.95, uh, and we're not going to get a rating on this because we've done it already. Uh, expect to pay a little bit for these. Uh, the Carnival of Monsters uh, 
reprints are not very easy to find. The first editions are popping up right, left, and center. So about $100 to $150 for a first edition, $300 or more for a second because we're not seeing them. Uh, so that's that copy there. Next, of course, uh, we get another reprint, and I don't own a hardcover edition of this one, but uh, The Seeds of Doom gets a second printing. Uh, another cover featuring uh, Sarah Jane here in the corner. Uh, that also, same exact thing as the Carnival of Monsters, uh, has a longbow WH Allen on the spine. So longbow doesn't mean a, a reprint in the early part of this year. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the decision was to go into that. And of course, there is no information in the Target book by David J. Howe regarding that. He doesn't really handle the, the hard, the card cover is going to get a cursory overview uh, in that book. And I asked David about that and he said there just wasn't a lot of information because we're going back to the 70s and a lot of that stuff's gone or um you know, it's uh, he, he got lucky with the new adventures because he worked at Virgin. He knew everybody and they were getting ready to throw things out and said, hey, David, you want this box of artwork? He goes, yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> and of course, a lot of that artwork made it into the book, which is a, a wonderful book. We talked about that a few episodes back. So if you want to learn about the new who adventures. Uh, so that was the Seeds of Doom. Um, so that's exactly it. So uh, since many of the books have longbow on the spine, uh, the practice is not consistent. And that's something that we notice as collectors. You would only notice this, by the way, if you keep your books in publication order. A lot of people don't do that. The popular thing to do is to keep them in story order. If uh, if you're a Target book collector and you're putting them in numerical order, I have bad news for you. It's not going <laughs> to work very well because I've got two Target books in, in a box back there that have uh, two different titles and the same number. <laughs> I noticed that I'm like, they've got the same number. So it's uh, so not a very good idea, but uh, I keep everything in publication order because there is a method to that madness because in that particular year, the logo was a certain color. The, the titles were a certain, the covers were a certain thing. So just, just my preference, but that was uh, of course this, this particular target book was a reprint. I believe this is a 1978 uh, edition. Uh, next, uh, we do get a new book in May. So there are no books in April. So they probably used up all the resources. There are no evidence that the reprints sold very well because the decision to end reprinting happens in January of 1979. Mm. So they do not reprint any more uh, books. So it's uh, what's, what's really going to confuse you is when we get later on in the years, I think in 1986, when Time and the Ronnie comes out in hardcover and in the corner, they have first edition stamped on the cover. That's <laughs> the only edition. They never reprinted it. <laughs> so um, it's, it's uh, you know, first edition of a first, the first edition of this. And it's like, okay, yeah. Uh, after 1979, they're all first editions. They're only um, the only edition. So we do get a new book in May, and that's Doctor Who and the Tomb of the Cybermen. I have a copy of that one. It's a nice cover um, by Jerry Davis. The cover is by Jeff Cummins. It matches the release date for the Target book, has the same cover art. And what's interesting about the cover art is, of course, if you've seen Tomb of the Cybermen, these are not the Cybermen. This is actually a scene from Revenge of the Cybermen. And there was uh, the, the working theory, at least I asked Christopher Stone about this. Uh, he's a Target book, uh, book collector expert uh, out there. And he said that during the 70s, they didn't want to put something on the cover that the fans today might not recognize. Mm. So the Cybermen, these are the Cybermen that the Tom Baker generation would recognize. 
and even the later generation, you know, these are almost the invasion Cybermen as well. But to show a tomb of the Cybermen, Cybermen that might be too far back uh, to go, you know, for people to be confused about the Cybermen. So they did that. Um, this is uh, it'll have uh, W. H. Allen Longbow on the on the side there. Let's see if I can get that into focus. There we go, uh, and is of course by Jerry Davis, and that has a picture of Mr. Davis in the back flap. Um, this is an ex-library copy. Not very many non-library uh, copies out there. Um, and of course, uh, the, uh, the the book, uh, the theory, I always tell you about that. So anyway, Tony, what was the uh, rating on Tomb of the Cybermen? This goes back for you, I know. Yes, it does. It goes all the way back to episode 36. Oh, wow. <clears throat> and we had Jenny Ingersoll on for that one. She oh, yeah, gave yeah. it uh, 3.5. Uh, Dalton gave it a 3.5, Allison gave it a 2, and I gave it a 4.5 because um, even though I may have some personal problems with Jerry Davis myself, <laughs> the actual writing, except for, you know, the Celestial Toymaker book, which it's rumored that he didn't actually write anyway, his writing is generally glorious. The second Doctor Who novelization I ever read was Doctor Who and the Cybermen which oh, yeah, confused yeah. the hell out of me because I was like, wait a minute, this is, if it's Doctor Who and the Cybermen, doesn't that mean it's the first story with the Cybermen? And right. No. So when but, this, yeah, when I finally got around to this one, I thought, oh, okay, things are making a bit more sense now, and this is really well done. Right. And then, of course, then I was always confused in, in the canon of Cybermen is that is this, is, is Telos Planet 14? Yeah. Because that the wheel in space uh, thing comes up as we've seen you on planet 14. Well, or invasion, actually, the invasion, he talks about planet 14. I'm like, is that is that the, it can't be the moon base because that's the moon. Uh, it can't be uh, the South Pole. That's the Earth. Or maybe maybe Earth is planet 14. I don't know. Uh, so there was always a big confusion about that. But I always have this memory, though, when I was in college, my brother calls me up and says, hey, I'm watching Tomb of the Cybermen. Hey, you're totally lying to me because <laughs> <laughs> that story's lost he goes no they found it and they put it on vhs right away so i go home for that weekend and i'm just watching this with my jaw dropped that i thought i'd never see this story it was a very interesting story to watch um and it just you know um and whenever i talked to fraser hines about it he said it was one of his favorite stories to do because there's so many gags in it <laughs> <laughs> my favorite gag though is when they go to they, they're entering the tomb and Troughton grabs a hold of jamie's hand and they slaps it away <laughs> <laughs> fraser said that was on purpose he said they always did stuff like that and that patrick was a bigger practical joker than he was so that's it's just really interesting if you ever get to a convention by the way almost all doctor who conventions come with Fraser Hines these days. So um, <laughs> just uh, just go and just ask him about it because he will tell you the story. He will tell yeah. you anything. He will talk to you. Um, and um, he uh, he did. Uh, and also he did a very nice. Uh, uh, he sent us a nice message for the 50th episode. I don't know if you heard that. Oh, but No, I didn't. Yeah, he, he uh, actually sent something and told us about the theme song. Who's Doctor Who? And oh, my. That's where we learned that Jimmy Page plays the guitar on it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. And of course, Les Reed and Barry Mason wrote all the songs for Tom Jones. He had many hits, you know, it's not unusual. And all those tunes were written. Of course, then this is the biggest, the biggest song that never made anything. 
and it had all these heavy musicians on it. I guess, um, I guess some other guy, uh, somebody Whitehead played drums, who was with the uh, Marmal a group, a group called Lady Marmalade, which was oh, a Scottish. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there was that, and then Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin played on it. And I'm listening to this, oh. going, "That guitar's all over the place." Now it makes sense. And yeah. and Fraser was like, "It was the biggest flop they wrote." <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's, it just. It's yeah, still ahead. not it's still not the biggest flop ever done of a Doctor Who single with a huge amount of musical talent behind it because Doctor Distress is coming down the pike. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's true. And I I still have my 12-inch version of that and I remember um and there's a video, go to YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it sold well, but it's still a yeah. flop as a song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if you want to hear Anthony Ainley sing. Oh, or, or poor Nicola Bryant. Nicola she, Bryant, yeah, she, she yeah. just not not great and uh Colin Baker does okay. Yeah. Um I I've got to uh have him, I got to get Colin to sign my record next time he's in town. It's a it's just a one one of those things it's like we did we did we are the world you know feed the children and doctor in distress <laughs> well that takes us to june of 1978 so on the anniversary uh we are recording this episode in in mid-june so uh we get a book called doctor who and the time warrior i do not have a hardcover edition although i have one on the way Ooh, found one okay uh wasn't too bad too it was about 120 dollars. so i thought mm, okay that sounds good um and the cover of course by jeff Cummins. he did a lot of the artwork that year uh it matches the target book release it came out at the same time uh this book is still on the longbow whl and imprint not easy to find but if you're persistent like i am usually one will pop up and it did um uh, the uh before this i haven't seen one in 25 years and I, my original estimate of my notes here was $600. So no, I'm changing that. You can find one for as little as a hundred and a quarter. Mm. So not too bad. Um, it is also a very favorite story of mine as being the first appearance of Sarah Jane Smith. And uh, first time you see a Santarin and they're still relevant today. Anyway, uh, this is of course, Terrence Dix. So what was the official rating on the Time Warrior? Okay, that was episode 69. Nice. Um, (laughs) And the weird thing about this one is that the prologue, which is the best part of this book, is actually written by Robert Holmes. Hmm. The story goes that uh, Robert Holmes took the commission and went ahead and started writing it and then realized, you know, I really don't want to do this. So he handed it over to Terrence Dix, which is why (laughs) that prologue is glorious and the rest of the book is Terrence Dix. So based on that disconnect, Allison gave it a two. Based on how good the prologue actually was, Dalton gave it a 3.5, and I split the difference and gave it a 2.75. And it's like a six, seven-page prologue, too, so yeah. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, just uh, and and uh, I, I actually like the story. I remember, you know, as being, of course, the final season for John Pertwee. It was a very nice story to watch, um, and a very young Elizabeth Sladen, who actually, but prior to that episode, played a cop on a on a TV show. She played a, P, a PC, a, a WPC, in a in a drama series. And that clip was on YouTube. I actually uh, found it in a, I do share it on my website. So I want to see it because we, we shared it with Sadie Miller. She had never seen it. Oh wow! So it was one of those, uh, we're still, we're still going back and forth. Cause I asked Sadie, 
did she keep anything from the series? And she goes, yeah, there were little things in that and we weren't sure, but people contacted us, you know, do you have anything for a charity auction? You know, anything she took from the set? And, you know, and I said, well, I said, if you ever get a chance, you know, you're at your dad's place or whatnot, you know, take pictures of things and I can help you identify them, at least tell you what you got. So she's going to do that uh, soon when she goes in home. But uh, yeah, she's still very close to her, her father, Brian, a wonderful guy. Um, and Sadie, of course, is, is amazing. If you get to meet Sadie, uh, just, you know, take advantage of it. She's a wonderful lady. Um, and so that's the time warrior, uh, going on to July of 1978. So we get, uh, Dr. Who death to the Daleks. And it's one of the first books where it doesn't say Dr. Who and by the way, so they, they just go death to the Daleks. And it's, I love this exploding Dalek. This is another artist by the name of Roy Knipe or Knipe, K-N-I-P-E. I don't know much by him. Uh, it's a very colorful cover. This was actually a Target poster that you could buy back in the day uh, without the title, but it just had the Doctor Who logo and the exploding Dalek. It was a very popular image. Um, I don't have the hardcover. It's a very difficult one to find. Uh, it is on the Longbow WHL and imprint. It matches the release date for the Target book, but it gets a price increase to £3.25. That's £15 today or $18. Hmm. So it had a little bit of a price increase. So with the high price and sales declining, the question comes up, why are we still putting out a hardcover edition? But they do for several. The, the hardcover run ends in 1988. So um, that's, you know, question that we'll never be able to answer because WH Allen itself is no longer around. Um, this just makes no sense. But with Tandem, um, they, they usually do the hardcover and the paperback at the same time, and sometimes they don't. I'm not sure what the financial choices were here. Um, just on a note on the story, it is not a very good story uh, on, on TV. It, it, was, it was very, uh, as a Dalek story, it's one of the lowest ranked in my book. As far as uh, that goes, there's a lot of bad Dalek acting in it. There's a lot of bad, uh, bad acting in it, for that matter. Uh, what about the uh, novel, Tony? Well, we were not impressed. That was okay. Seventy-two. So, yep. Uh, Allison gave it a one point five, which is not unusual. Uh, Dalton gave it a two. In fact, I have an asterisk beside that score, so I have a feeling yeah. that he said something along the lines of feeling that it was the worst book we'd ever read, which is oh wow interesting because he was on planet of giants okay and uh i also gave it a two because that's the problem with terrence dick sometimes that if he is given a script by somebody that he uh well i wouldn't say didn't like if he's given a script to uh novelized by somebody who he had to work with that had some difficulties with such as terry nation then he's not necessarily going to go out of his way to add new stuff to it because Terry Nation never did. Oh. And Death to the Daleks is very much a retread in many ways, and some of the stuff in it is just not great. So, yeah. Well, if you're watching the episode, watch carefully. There's a scene where a Dalek is going along, and you can see the two tra the tracks in the desert that the Daleks are on. <laughs> it's really quite... Um, it, it, you know, it's it's really hard to watch, uh, and also the the visual of the Dalek through the uh, through the you know the scope that their eye stalk apparently you think yeah. you, you think they'd have better vision, but I thought mm, it wasn't very it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, moving on to July uh, again, no new titles in July, but we do get a reprint of a 
Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors. And this is the second edition to Doctor Who and the Ice Warriors. It is a non-library copy. Uh, special thank you to Dale J. Santos, who got this one for me. Uh, they sold quite a, they made quite a bit, uh, quite a few of these. Uh, and this, of course, has the same, uh, this is a Brian Hales. And so there's a picture of Brian Hales on the back cover there. Um, that would be it for uh, for July. And we've already done this book. So if you need to find out more about that novel, you can go back in time and look up a Target Book Club or look up the episode we did this. I believe it was 1976. And uh, I am correct. 1976, the first edition came out. So that's that. Uh, and August and September, I think they sent everybody home because no books were published in either month. <laughs> in, in the Target world, only Planet of the Spiders gets a reprint with a new cover. So they, they get rid of the old Achilles cover and they do a new cover, which has the spider and the blue crystal on the cover. That's the one that most people have seen. So we shoot all the way to October of 1978 and we get another reprint. So all the time off and we just, uh, let's just do another reprint. So they do a uh, doctor who in the brain of Morbius. And this is what the cover would have looked like. This is a first edition target. Uh, they changed the color scheme in, uh, in, in newer reprints. I know this background is no longer orange. It's white, I believe. Uh, so um, this copy very hard to find, and it's likely on just the W.H. Allen imprint. They stopped using Longbow after the Ice Warriors. So there was no no decision, no press release, nothing to say, okay, we're just not going to use Longbow anymore. That's not sure if the Longbow imprint went away. They just stopped using it. Um, by the way, in addition of the Brain of Morbius reprint, you could pay at least 500 or more Ooh. for a copy if you can find one. I have not seen one, but... Um, well, uh, well, let's see. I just heard the other day, Gene Smith contacted me. He said he bought four collections this summer and he's got a whole bunch of hardcovers. So he's going to send me a list tomorrow and we'll see what's in there. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he does. He, and, and by the way, uh, speaking of Gene Smith and that, just as some breaking news into the, into the studio here, Alien Entertainment is opening a second location and they're opening it on the north side of Chicago. Mm. I don't have a location yet, but it's close. It's in your neighborhood, Tony. Yes. So, amazing. <laughs> so, so all that, uh, I, and, uh, that's why it kind of makes sense. Cause you know, he said he was on this, uh, he was on a trip where he was buying a bunch of, uh, I don't know if you ever see that show on, uh, the discovery channel where this guy drives this old truck and he goes to antique stores in the South and he finds things that are absolutely worth a fortune pays like little money for it. And <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what, uh, you know, he goes out there and, uh, you know, and I know I've referred people to Gene before too, but by the way, if you want to get rid of your entire Doctor Who collection, just contact Alien Entertainment. Go to alienentertainment.com, hit the contact button, and you will get an honest appraisal and a good price for your collection because he will buy the whole thing, lump sum, lock, stock, barrel, whatever you got. You know, does everything make it to the sale floor? Not really. He says he does end up throwing away stuff. But it's the stuff that he, you know, he, I think he bought an entire collection just to get the chess set. <laughs> bought an entire collection just to get a Dalek coin box that he's going to make his entire investment back with that one sale. Wow. So that's, that's how good he's always been that way since I've known him and I go, we go back to 84. So that's, that's just amazing. Um, anyway, moving forward here in October, we get a new book, Doctor Who and the Santaran Experiment by Ian Martyr. I do not have a hardcover, but this is the cover in target format. The cover is by Roy Knipe. 
The Target Edition will not be out until December of this year, so the hardcover comes out by a few months earlier. Longbow is completely off the spine, so it just says W.H. Allen. No logo yet, but just the W.H. Allen. Uh, same price of £3.25. This title is a little bit more difficult to find. There is one copy that I've seen for sale for $248 on Abe's Books, so if you're interested in that, go for it. It's still out there. Um, so, uh, I, I'm going to guess, cause I know Ian Martyr is a favorite of your, of your podcast. So, mm -hmm. uh, how did Sontaran experiment fare? We were definitely impressed by it. Uh, Dalton, that was episode 78. Dalton gave it a 3.5. Trey Corte joined us for that one and he gave it a four and I gave it a 3.75. Um, I'm trying to remember why I've, I've, okay. I've rated it so low because it, it's not perfect by any means, but Ian Martyr, more than just about any other Doctor Who author, has a tendency to expand the stories well beyond what we get on television. And for that one, being a two-parter, he definitely expanded it, much as he does with The, uh, the Rescue, which oh, okay. is unrecognizable from the version we got on television. It's, it's something else. He's also a very nice man, too. I know he's passed away since then, but I met him in 1985 at the Chicago convention, and he was just extremely thrilled to meet fans and talk to people and um, was a very nice man. Just somebody, somebody who I saw being nice even when he was not on. Um, which not all Doctor Who uh, actors are nice to people when they're not on. So right. <laughs> I, I have, I have, uh, there's a reason why some some people are not asked back to Chicago TARDIS and I've inquired and they said, oh, that's why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so not everybody's nice, but Ian Martyr was definitely a nice man and uh, God rest his soul. He's no, you know, cancer, I believe was his, uh, I think it was cancer, wasn't it? Uh, either that or complications from diabetes i'm not quite sure i don't remember but uh, i'm not going to quote anything there if you need to look at we'll, we'll we'll check our facts and we'll insert something if we need to but uh i just remember i thought it was cancer but i could be wrong anyway he left us way too soon but i agree because this uh this is a pretty good sized book for a two-parter and i was just looking in this particular copy this is a third edition it's, it was reprinted twice in 1982 so it sold very well that's I'm guessing the paperbacks sold real well there. Uh, the final hardcover uh, was done in November of 1978 because they did no books in December. They're gearing up for that January reprint. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the final book is Doctor Who and the Android Invasion by uh, Terrence Dix with the cover art by Roy Knipe again. Um, that, that wonderful crawl there and uh, Tom Baker tied to the stake, uh, which is uh, wonderful. Uh and uh, the book matches the target release. The spine, by the way, simply reads, and I'll show you, W.H. Allen. That's how it would look. Uh, the longbow is gone. There is no explanation. However, you will see longbow one final time next year in 1979. They use it once, and you never see it again. In fact, you will see the last reprint in January of 1979 because somebody must have come down and said, that's it. Stop reprinting. <laughs> We're not going to do it. We're not making any money on this, but it's uh, the targets are basically keeping us afloat. It's uh, and I worked for a, a publisher for several years and sometimes we had one product that funded the entire company and we had a lot of other losing losing prospects, but um, that's uh, and then of course this is a Terrence Dix book and they use the same photo on the flap for Mr. Dix. 
Um, this book, uh, by the way, uh, you can get it. I got this in my collection this past year for a hundred dollars. So you might get lucky. And it's, uh, I believe it's a X library. It's an X library copy. Where is it from? Um, Humberside. Hmm. Not sure where that is, but it's, it's a really nice shape. Cause I remember it came in one of those plastic covers and I removed the cover and the dust jacket is in mint condition. So that was, you know, definitely a, a wise thing since this book was probably put in the library back in 1978. So um, it's just amazing that you can do that. Uh, anyway, what's the rating on uh, this one? That was episode 86. And we had Danny Horn from the Dark Shadows Every Day podcast, uh, not podcast, it's a blog. We had him on as a guest. And he, uh, He's a crazy man because this is his favorite story. The reason why it is his favorite story is because it is the very first Doctor Who story he ever saw. Uh, That that does hold a lot of weight for some people. Yes, it does. With with a story that's not very weighty, unfortunately. So he gave it a four. Okay. Dalton gave it a three. Allison gave it a two. And I gave it a 2.75 because it's, it's a serviceable novelization. But it's also, again, just like Death to the Daleks, a serviceable novelization of a story that doesn't have that much going for it to begin with. Yeah. And uh, and like I said, the the paperback copies of this got several reprints. And so they did sell. These, however, did not. Uh, this this title was not reprinted. But uh, of course, with a hefty price of £3.25, I believe that's what's on here. Yeah, £3.25 uh, net on there, which is 18 US dollars today. So it's quite a quite a hefty price for, for this little book here, this six by nine book. So that's the final book of 1978. So that takes care of 1978. If you want to own a complete set of these, uh, you might have to just uh, get get uh, you know the, the the guy downstairs below and open your soul up for auction because it's quite an expensive thing. Now I did an estimate based on my estimations, which is uh, what I've actually seen them go for, and uh, just guesses based on what the market might suggest. So a complete set of these books, including the reprints, including the Aeonian book would be $6,892. Mm. So that would be it. And of course, uh, I know I've asked this before, Tony, but I know you don't have any hardcovers in your collection at this point, right? Not at the moment. In fact, generally when I get hardcovers, I use them as giveaways at a uh, Chicago TARDIS when we do have our live recordings, which we haven't had in a couple of years because obvious reasons. Right, right. So right now I don't have any. And the main reason I don't collect them is because as you have pointed out, they are very, very expensive. Yeah, and they're getting more expensive, which, uh, you know, uh, when we, uh, I'm gonna ask you to stick around for the next segment on the most outrageous offer, because that's gonna lead right into that particular issue uh, of a a book going there. So I I wanna get your reaction on that. But uh, my advice, of course, to all collectors is uh, negotiate whenever possible, because sometimes a book will sit there at that high price for months. If you can come up with a reasonable offer, and I mean a reasonable offer, like, you know, go 20% below and see what happens. They may be inclined to go, yeah, I've been sitting on it for a while. I want to get rid of it. That's fine. Um, Beware of high-priced auctions that may not produce fruit. Be careful what you you do, especially eBay. Um, If you're going to spend 
any significant amount of money, ask for better photos, get communication going, make sure you check the reviews and ratings of all sellers. If you're at Abe's Views Books, do the same thing. How long have they been selling for? Check to see, uh, whenever you go to a title in Abe's Books, you will find a link below. It says this book is also available for, and there might be a lower price. Check it out. Uh, you might get lucky, but also beware of the price gouging. Uh, go to Facebook groups and uh, look for respected sellers. Uh, two people that I, I, I highly recommend are Mr. Dale Santos and David Russell from Scotland. He sells, he's got almost all the hardcovers. And when he finds them, he puts them up for sale and they're not very expensive. So my thanks, of course, to Tony Witt, and he's going to stick around for the next segment here. So uh, while while getting that ready to go here, tell our listeners where they can find the Doctor Who Target Book Club. If you do a search on Google, you'll find us at soundcloud.com forward slash, I believe it's Doctor Who Target BC. In fact, let me look that up very quickly. I keep doing this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm never ready for this. And for some reason, I should be. There it is. It okay. is soundcloud.com forward slash Doctor Who Target BC. And you can find us there most directly. But you, if you listen to podcasts through iTunes and uh, other providers except for Spotify, you'll be able to see us there too. Sounds good. And you can also find this podcast as well as Tony's podcast at directionpoint.org, where we have all the network podcasts under one roof. And you can find other great podcasts there as well, like Time Streams, Traveling the Vortex, and Police Box in a Junkyard. So do check that out. Of course, we're going to do a continuation of this series uh, somewhere down the line. Later, later this summer, we will have the classic hardcovers of 1979 and uh, all of those releases there. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Doctor Who Collectors to see the full cover of all the hardcover books. I am posting them in publication order. Uh, got a lot of uh, replies from Andrew Skilleter in the later years. He's uh, telling stories about how he was rushed to do the cover for the Crotons, by the way. Mm. And, and so that's why it looks real airbrushy and kind of, he was really unhappy with it. He said, he said it was not, not finished. He said, oh, we need it now. That's <laughs> a shame because yeah. it's better than the book. I know. Yeah, the cover is great. <laughs> book, not so much. Um, of course, if you have any photos of the books we've talked about or want to provide proof of life of any second or third editions we don't talk about, uh, send us an email at doctorwhocollectorspodcast at gmail.com. You can find the entire hardcover guide uh, at our website at doctorwhocollectors.com. Uh, Tony will be with us, so we'll be right back. There is no plot. I am being completely honest with you. And now it's time for the most outrageous offer. Tony is with us again here for this because this was a uh, a real interesting one here. This was an eBay auction. You may have seen this on Facebook, Tony, but uh, mm. someone was selling a copy of Planet of the Daleks hardcover non-library edition. Right. It sold, and it sold for $2,647.19. Oh. That is insanity. The gavel came down. I actually, I, I, I actually have to say, I called it wrong, folks, because I put right on the post. This won't sell. There's <laughs> no way. And then it did, and I, because I followed it, I, I actually found it on eBay and I put it on my watch list. And of course, typically when you put something on your watch list, the next day you get a little email saying the seller has given you a special offer on this book, and I was like, right. no, <laughs> not gonna do it. But it's sold. I've got the sold page in front of me. So that changes 
some of the prices of of this particular book. Now, I'm just going to hold up this here because I have a copy of Planet of the Daleks. This is an ex-library copy. Um, the value of the ex-library copy was somewhere around $400. Now I'm thinking $1,000. I'm not really seriously thinking of selling it, but it kind of makes it really hard for somebody who has one of these to go, well, if he got $2,600 for a non-library copy, I could surely get a grand for this one. Yes. And that's exactly how the market of this works. And I, and I, and of course I did get, there's somebody that came up and said, how come every time this happens, you pop up and whine about the prices. And I just kind of scratched my head there, but somebody else chimed in and said, um, you realize he was the largest distributor of Dr. Hardcovers in the United States, right? Shut <laughs> <laughs> that guy down. I didn't say a word. <laughs> Which, by the way, to my listeners, you know, I was the largest distributor of hardcover books in the United States back in 1985. Uh, we did not have Planet of the Daleks, of course, that was not included in our distribution. But I know for a fact and uh, that how many books were actually sold in the United States at that given time, which means that somewhere out there, there are 250 copies of Twin Dilemma floating around because that's how many we had and they all sold because it was the first Colin Baker story and everybody was excited about it. <laughs> you know, oh, that, that poor deluded souls <laughs> and, the, and the price and the price was $12. So that's, that was, you know, uh, that was a different time. Of course, nobody had even seen these in the United States. They, they didn't, you know, we were kind of the, uh, the odd dealer at conventions going, well, you got those in hardcover. Wow. Didn't know they made those. And people were grabbing up different titles and spending hundreds of dollars right off the, you know, off the retail rack. But now I'm seeing some of these books come back a little bit higher in price, but they're all non-library copies. And I said, well, this copy was distributed in the United States. Um, the fact that a non-library, now this, this, the history of this non-library copy, there are several others that are going to pop up on eBay very soon. I don't know what they are, but this was an estate sale and this person had them tucked away oh for years. And this one is in really good condition. There's a slight tear on the back cover. He included really good photos uh, in the upper part of it. So it's, but there's no marks in it and the book is tight. So it's, it's a book that you won't see very often in non-library, but a few more are about to pop up. And I wouldn't be surprised if the bidding will start at $2,000 for those. <sighs> So that's that's the uh, and of course I have a link to the closed I'll have a link to the closed sale so you can take a look at it the photos they stay up on eBay for a long time so you don't have to worry about it going away but um, that was the final gavel on it I don't know what the shipping was uh, gosh my bifocals usually don't work on these small print here but yeah it did go for twenty six forty seven nineteen and uh, it's it's I believe uh, the the um, that was with shipping, by the way. The uh, final bid price was twenty one sixty. So that's it's absolutely. I don't even know where it went or who bought it. It's it's private, but someone. I hope uh, you know. As far as that goes, two thousand um, dollars. That's more than my mortgage. That is um, that is more. That is almost my property tax payment. One, one payment. Uh, it's it's almost. You know. It's just. It's. It's it's a lot of money. That's two months rent for me. Two months rent. Yeah, that's that. This is this represent. I mean, that price represents real life things, and so 
you know, so in, in an attempt to whine about the prices again, as somebody told me I was, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just hard for me to see a book that I remember putting a $12 price tag on 30 years ago and seeing it go for $400 today. I know for a fact it could not have appreciated that much. And I often have to correct folks when they say, well, you know, the day of the Daleks hardcover, very hard to find. You'll pay 600 for that. Then where are the 300 copies we sold? because that was a book we distributed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we had it. We had a whole case of those. And they sold out pretty quick uh, in, in that, uh, those, those, that year of conventions we did in 85 and 86. And we did a lot of them, a lot of little ones, little creation ones. In fact, there was one we did at um, Elk Grove Village High School was doing a Doctor Who convention because I do remember that one real well because it was Gene and I and one other person that ran the table and the fire alarm went off and Gene refused to leave. <laughs> They're going to have to carry me out of here because <laughs> he was worried about somebody stealing, which by the way, today, and, and I, and it's, it's, it's a founded fear, but uh, in fact, uh, at Chicago TARDIS, a security guard usually sleeps in the dealer's room. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's good cause for that because, you know, there's a lot of, it's a lot of money. Um, Doctor Who is big business. So that's the, that's the most outrageous offer. And that uh, concludes the Doctor Who Collectors podcast. I want to first and foremost, thank my guest today, Tony Witt. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. And thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure. You're welcome. And uh, by the way, anywhere you get your great podcasts, you can find those uh, out there. Direction Point is our network. On our next episode, um, I'm pretty sure this is going to be our next episode. We are going to do a discussion on Doctor Who plates and flatware. So (laughs) it'll be a lot of fun because uh, believe it or not, the Royal Albert China put out five Doctor Who plates in the 1980s. And there have been several other people that put out plates over the years. I have some of them in the collection. And they also did flatware, picnic wear, tablecloths, and anything to do with eating. And not including food, though. There, that's another episode. But we'll do flatware and plates in our next episode. So, um, of course, uh, we also uh, want to thank our, our sponsors, Forbidden Planet and Bags Unlimited, for their support. And don't forget that we're still raising money to bring Peter Purvis on the program. We were looking for $271. Just go to our website, click donate, put Peter Purvis in the in the subject line if you want to be part of that. That's what his agent is asking for, by the way. We're not looking to make money on that. Uh, and keep collecting. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.